All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, talking to you from New York City on this, the 23rd day of February 2021. And I do like to remind you, I am the editor of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. You can Sign up for that letter by going to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com, or call our office in New York at 718-457-1426. I would also encourage you to consider signing up for Chen Lin's letter, What is Chen Buying, What is Chen Selling? Chen has really carved out a niche in the biotech sector. He also follows a lot of the mining shares as well, and energy is another area, but he's done exceptionally well in the biotech uh, space and so uh, signing up for Chen's letter, you go to chenpix.com, chenpix.com, and uh, also I'd like you to consider signing up for Michael Oliver's work, his excellent work as well, um, and he will be with us again next week. Uh, I want to thank all of you for listening to this show, making it one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel, and also encourage you to send along whatever comments you have about this show. Send them to questions for Taylor at gmail.com. Questions at number four, Taylor at gmail.com. And we do want to thank our sponsors because without them, there would be no show. This week's sponsors are SK Mining Corp., Novo Resources, Sitka Gold Corp., Eloro Resources, Irving Resources, Hannon Metals, Fury Gold Mines, Great Bear Resources, and Lion One Metals. I've titled today's show, What Became of the Crow? Robert Moriarty and Dr. Quentin Henning return as guests to participate in what is a very special show for my two guests today, for me personally, and for all investors of Novo Resources who have followed this very unusual gold exploration story over the past eight to ten years. What Became of the Crow is the title of Bob Moriarty's most recent book. Perhaps when I speak with Bob in a few minutes from now, he will explain how, in 1888, a very nasty, hungry crow pointed human beings to the existence of an abundance of gold nuggets in the Pilbara region of Western Australia. So for many decades, Australians have known of the presence of widespread gold nuggets on or very near the surface over a very large region of northwestern Australia, and it had become a common practice for people using metal detectors to find nuggets over the barren desert land and for a few, it had become a fairly profitable hobby. But it wasn't until Dr. Quentin Henning's theory of how the greatest gold concentration on Earth was deposited in the Witwatersrand region of South Africa, it wasn't until his theories were tested in the Pilbara region of Australia that it became clear to a small number of noble investors 
that Australia may well host a second gold deposit of similar magnitude as the Great Whitwaters Ram deposit. Which brings me to the subtitle of Bob Moriarty's book, that being, quote, inside the greatest gold discovery in history, end of quote. So the greatest concentration of gold on Earth discovered and mined to date has come from the Great Whitwaters Rand region of South Africa. In fact, something like 30 to 40 percent of all the gold ever mined in the history of humankind has been produced from there. Those of us who have followed Dr. Henning's progress in applying geological science to the discovery of hundreds of square kilometers of gold-hosting conglomerate reefs are now convinced that Bob Moriarty's claim that Novo has made the greatest gold discovery in history may indeed be borne out over time. I have kept up with Dr. Henning's work on behalf of Novo now since the summer of 2013 when I first added the story to my newsletter, J. Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. But no one has kept up with the evolution of the Novo Resources story more intimately than Bob Moriarty, who will be with me in just a few minutes after a first commercial break. And I dare say that no one knows Dr. Henning personally better than Bob, with the exception, of course, of uh, Quentin's immediate family. Bob has spent many days visiting Novo's project in Western Australia, and he has traveled with Quentin to other projects over the years. Bob has learned to know the, the very colorful characters who have been involved, not always in a helpful way, but who nonetheless are essential elements of the Novo Resources story. Mark Creasy, a wealthy Australian prospector and major landowner, has been an essential element in Novo's success, though he sometimes was not always terribly helpful. A key to Novo's success has been funding from legendary investor Eric Sprott, who has had a close working relationship with Quentin Henning over the years, and from my understanding continues to work well with Dr. Henning even now. Bob Moriarty knows all of these people, and What Became of the Crow is not only a fascinating read laced with Bob's gut-splitting humor, but he paints a colorful picture of what I'm convinced will, over the years to come, be known as a great gold discovery, if not the greatest gold discovery in history. That, of course, remains to be proven, but last week, Novo made the first giant step towards showing that the proof will be in the pudding when it is poured uh, it's or maybe we should say when the fruit when the gold that is poured from the great conglomerate rocks uh, rolls out from the newly acquired mill. The challenge Novo has had in getting to this point are discussed in Bob's book, and he will no doubt address some of those key issues in a few minutes when I speak with him. But what I was re- uh, required to turn to this vast seeming wasteland into potentially what was but what was required to turn this vast seemingly wasteland into potentially one of the largest gold fields on earth was some ingenious thinking and application of new technologies while it is true that the origins of the great Whitwaters Rand gold deposit in South Africa have a lot in common with Novo's gold deposits in the Pilbara Novo has faced the challenges of, of very coarse gold which makes it extremely difficult to assess gold reserves and the grades of those reserves. But Novo is also operating in a desert where there is no water supply, where in a few weeks of, of the year there is so much water that everything is shut down. Novo has apparently addressed those obstacles so that it is now 
in a position to mine what I believe will be countless millions of ounces of gold over hundreds of square kilometers of, uh, of conglomerate-hosted gold in the years to come. Quentin Henning will join me in the final segment of today's show to not only talk about the early stages of gold production for Novo, but how he expects the company to grow profits and uh, gold production and profits in the months and years to come. It is in truly an exciting story uh, that I have kept track of and look forward to what he has to say. Uh, we do have to go to break now, but don't go away because the very colorful Bob Moriarty will be with me right after the break to explain what he knows about this great story that's unfolding right now in Western Australia. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Bob Moriarty. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Fury Gold Mines is a Canadian exploration and development company committed to aggressively growing its scalable, high-grade gold assets across its 3.5 million ounce portfolio. Led by a management team of proven explorers and developers, Fury aims to generate major catalysts and performance per share by advancing exploration campaigns across Canada. Fury is well positioned to create value for investors with low risk, development growth, and the potential for a new major discovery. Fury Gold Mines trades on the TSX and NYSE American under Fury. To learn more, go to FuryGoldMines.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm here to uh, to talk to you about one of the most, well, I'm here to talk with one of the most interesting and colorful people I know about one of the most interesting and colorful gold exploration stories that I've ever been aware of, uh, and I'm talking about Bob Moriarty, of course. He's been with us before on this show. Uh, he has an incredible track record, uh, a very, very interesting person. Uh, interesting and uh, courageous, uh, incredibly. He was the youngest Marine fighter pilot uh, in Vietnam. He flew 832 combat missions. He uh, flew over 240 single-engine flights across the Atlantic and Pacific. He flew a single-engine plane under the Eiffel Tower in Paris, and you can see that on the Internet. It's, it's available if you want to, to see this courageous, some might say crazy act. Uh, and he holds 14 aviation records. Only in America, which has uh, until recently applauded individualism, can such God-given talent and uniqueness be openly and proudly displayed. But Bob's personality and talents that allow him to do so much, that have allowed him to do so much in the air as a pilot, has enabled him, along with his beloved late, late wife, Barbara, to start the exceptionally helpful 
and a very, very profitable 321gold.com site. Uh, it's an investment website, and, and uh, he also has a nose for other out-of-the-box thinkers. He, Bob is a creative thinker himself. He comes up with insights that have never occurred to me, and I always find them very helpful, and that's why I'm really glad to have him with us today. Uh, in the field of geology, Dr. Quentin Henning, who heads up Novo Resources and is an advisor and or sits on the board of directors of a number of other very successful gold exploration companies, is the kind of person Bob latches onto because he is able to perceive who are the honest and talented characters uh, in the business that he's involved with, in the exploration business, mine exploration business primarily. You might say it takes one to know one, and I have learned to know Bob very well, so I can attest not only to his honesty and integrity, but also to his intelligence. He is indeed a friend of mine, and so I'm really very happy to have him with me again today. Welcome, Bob, and thanks so much for joining me. Well, it's a pleasure to be here, Jay. You know, it's always good It's always good to talk to you, and it's always good, and you and I trade notes sometimes uh, uh, by email and so forth, but um, I, I, really, we want to ask you about, because this is, this is an incredible read, this book, uh, Inside the Greatest Gold Discovery in History. Well, the, the main title is What Became of the Crow, and the subtitle is Inside the Greatest Gold Discovery in History. I read it cover to cover. I, I read it, and, and I must say that I, I probably read the first two or three minutes. I just had to laugh my, my head off, essentially, uh, because you, you do have a great sense of humor, and you were talking about lies and how people like to be lied to. And then you gave an example of what you're going to say to your new bride when she comes home with a pair of jeans and is looking for compliments. And I thought, I just sat there and laughed. And my wife in the next room couldn't figure out why I was splitting a gut in laughter as I was. But, Bob, I, just, I say this because I want people to know that this is just a real fun read, too. It's, it's, a fun, it's an educational read about novel resources, about what may very well become the greatest gold discovery in history. Uh, and it's just, uh, it's just really, of course, you know, I've been involved with this from, day, from early on. Uh, and and I've, so I've been intimately involved, not nearly as much as you, but to a great extent, following Dr. Henning's theories and how they've panned out. Uh, so I just wanted people to know that this is a very fascinating book, a fun read as well. Uh, can you take just a minute to talk, though, about um, what became of the crow? Uh, you know, can you take a minute maybe to talk, tell people where they can where they can get the book? And uh, there, I guess there's three different versions of it, right? Uh, there's actually four different versions. Oh. Now. All right. Tell us about them, if you would, quickly. Okay. Uh, I I was very lucky. I, I met Quentin Henney in October of uh, 1968, and oh. we were driving up to Rattlesnake to to take a look at it. And I, I guess it was a four or five hour trip. And uh, you learn a lot when you can sit and just chat with somebody for a few hours. Mm-hmm. And he started mm-hmm. talking about a theory that he had that the gold in the that's water ran came from the precipitation uh, out of salt water about 2.8 billion years ago when single-cell uh, organisms uh, started creating oxygen and changed the chemistry of the water. And that was very interesting to me because in 1976, 
I took an airplane to Lang Hancock in Western Australia. And of course, he was the guy that discovered iron, claimed to have discovered iron in, in Western Australia. Uh, his son-in-law was on the airplane with me and spent 75 hours talking about banded iron formations. And banded iron formations uh, took place about 2.8 million years ago mm-hmm. when uh, oxygen was created and changed chemistry of the water. And the iron literally rusted out of the salt water. And the interesting thing there, and I've got a tremendous advantage over virtually anyone I know, is that you've got banded iron formations that precipitated out of salt water, and you've got gold, Quint believed, precipitated out of salt water. And almost inevitably, you find the two together. You will find banded iron formations and somewhere nearby. There will be conglomerate gold. Oh. Now, uh, go ahead. No, go ahead. I'm, I'm just listening. Okay. Now, uh, what happened was I got to participate in NOVO literally from the theory stage all the way to the first gold pour that took place a week ago. And I, I, I realized I needed to tell a story because to the very best of my knowledge, there are no books whatsoever that tell really the true story of what happens uh, forming a company, raising some money, finding a project, uh, uh, drilling the crap out of it, and putting it into production. It is far harder than you ever imagined. So I wrote the book. I released it in January so people could read it when the first gold pour took place. Now, uh, there's actually four different versions, and I'm only going to focus on two of them. Someone wrote me and said, gee, it's hard for me to get the printed copy of the book. Can you do a Kindle version? I thought about it and thought, well, yeah, why not? So Mm -hmm. I did. But uh, I I went to Lulu. It's L-U-L-U dot com. And they do a hardback version that's $49.99. It's full color. It's a magnificent book. And you should do one of two things. If you just want to read the book, go to Amazon and get the Kindle version. It's $9.99. I guarantee you will laugh in the first five minutes. I have a way with words, and sometimes I can be very funny. (laughs) But it's a great story. I got to meet some fascinating people. I got to be involved. Uh, I I am as close to Novo as anyone outside the company. And and my congratulations to Quentin and to Rob Humphreyson and Ronan and Kaz and all the people who worked so hard to get in production. But uh, the real key, and it's in the book, Anywhere you have a banded iron formation, you're going to have a conglomerate gold system at the same time. And Quentin told me, I think he said there's 98 basins in the world, similar to the Bitswater Rand and similar to the Pilbara Basin. They're all about the same age, and the Pilbara was the biggest. 
Now, if you've got the biggest banded iron formation in the world, you should have the biggest gold formation in the world. And what Quentin understood was that rather than look for load gold, which everybody's been looking for since 1888 when it was discovered, that the gold's actually in the conglomerate. Now, he's proven that. He's got three major projects with, with Novo. It's in production now. And the company should be self-sustaining from here out. Yeah, indeed. Uh, I think you brought it to my attention, Bob, that something like 29% of the world's iron reserves come from, I believe, from Western Australia in this, uh, in this geological environment. And we're looking at uh, just an enormous uh, chunk of land that, uh, that Novo has claims to for those projects that you just mentioned, those three projects. So it's, it, is a, it is a most, I think... You know, because nobody was really, as you say, and everybody was looking for the load source for these nuggets. The nuggets were there, and that a nasty old crow, I guess, is the, is, is the one that first made uh, some of the early settlers out in that part of the Western Australia aware of the presence of gold. Uh, but it wasn't until Quentin Henning came along and really uh, perceived the origins of it and the extent and the, and the, and the, the scale of these conglomerate belts uh, that this became an extremely exciting story, right? Uh, absolutely. Uh, he got involved at Karartha, and, and that's in the book. There were some railroad workers who dug a gravel pit and were taking out truckloads of gravel, and one of them figured out there was gold nuggets in the gravel, so two guys bought a $10,000 uh, metal detector, went out a week, one weekend and found 300 ounces of gold. And when Quentin found out about that, he said, uh, you know what, we're at the eastern end of the Pilbara Basin and maybe we need to look at the western basin. So uh, Novo now has 14,000 square kilometers <laughs> of ground most of which is, is conglomerate structure, and the potential is there. But the real key is, and this is important for readers and investors to understand, uh, the Vets Water Rand is still in production. It's 135 years after it was discovered. Mm-hmm. Novo, it's not going to be a one-trick pony, and you're not going to go out there and drill a crap out of it and know exactly what they've got in a year or two. This is a long-term project, and I expect Novo to be in production 50 years from now. I think you and I probably won't be around then, Bob, but uh, nonetheless... Well, I, uh, I'm, I'm planning on it. I don't know about you. <laughs> oh, God bless you. <laughs> You're a better man than me. But anyway, uh, so... You talk in your book. I mean, there obviously Quentin Henning is is uh, is is the center of this story. To agree, I guess no, he is the center of this story. But there are other characters that were very very important as well. Mark Creasy, as you point out in your book, the two of them had to come together to make this happen. Would you explain? Well, here's the deal. Mark Creasy actually believed there was a lot of gold in Pilbara. And uh, he sold a mine for $117 million. And at the time, there was no tax. If you were a prospector and you sold a deposit, you didn't pay taxes on it. 
So he got a check for $117 million. Of course, everybody in Australia was madder than what Hornet. Uh, <clears throat> but he spent a lot of money tying up ground in the Pilbara because he was convinced there was a lot of gold there. Mm -hmm. uh, Quinton actually went there, I think, in 2003 or 2004. He was working for Newmont. And he came very close to doing a deal with Mark Creasy, and there were some internal problems, and that didn't work out. But Quentin always wanted to to do a deal with Mark Creasy. But Mark Creasy's worth hundreds of millions of dollars, and guys who are worth hundreds of millions of dollars don't think like you and I. <laughs> so uh, Mark was going to dawdle and dawdle and dawdle and dawdle and dawdle, knowing that that. Uh, Quentin was under the gun, and actually Quentin did a deal with Millennium on Beaton's Creek, and that forced Mark Creasy's hands. But I, I was aware of a lot of the <clears throat> inside information that is never worthy of press release, and there was some real skullduggery going on. I mean, anybody who reads that book's going to look at mining in a totally different way. And it is a great story. I'm going to say, if you buy the hardback, it's one of the finest hardback books I've ever seen. I, I'm very proud of the book. I, and you well should be, Bob. I have a copy of it, uh, which you sent me. Thank you very much. Uh, with all of the colors and uh, all the pictures, the colors, uh, it's a co you know, full-color book. Uh, and it, it's just incredible, the, yeah, the stories, the details that are in here about how deals were made and how... Uh, you know how things how things happened. Uh, you know people that aren't really involved uh, to this extent as you were would never have a clue. But uh, but they certainly can have a clue if they read the book. And boy, I'll tell you, any investor in Novo is going to want to get a copy of this book. I think any serious investor is going to want to get a copy of the book. Well, um, so also certainly uh, there were other people that were that have been instrumental. Uh, of course, there are the people that will. That are you mentioned a little earlier that that are actually making it happen now for Novel. Uh, one of the things that Quentin did before, well before COVID came, and he hasn't been over there since then. I guess over to Australia. But one of the things he he did was line up some some wonderful personnel, some very very talented and capable people uh, to actually put this thing into production. Because Quentin, of course, his skill set and it's an unusually he's an, an unusually gifted. Uh, out-of-the-box thinking geologist, but he's not a producer, and he, but he was able. One of the things I think really makes him great is he's able to assess personalities and characters and talent. And you know you know these people, Bob, because you've met uh, Humphreyson and some of these people, but talk to us a little bit about the people that he picked that has made this uh, go forward, it, apparently very successfully from what we can see so far, as it just pour, started pouring gold last week. Well, uh, here's the real key, Jay, and I think you'll agree with this. Uh, going from theory into production is ten times harder than anybody realizes, and there are all kinds of issues. The vendors that you get the property from try to screw you. The guys that you get money from to, to do the drilling and put it into production, they try to screw you. Half your employers try to screw you. Uh, <laughs> if a company puts a bunch of money into it to it and makes it possible for you to move for you, they try to screw you. Uh, Quentin 
has the ability to take a herd of cats and get them marching in the same direction. <laughs> now, that doesn't mean that every person that he hired is still with the company. Uh, but Quentin realized, you know, it's sink or swim time. If we're going to succeed at this, uh, we've got to have the best people. I'll just flat tell you, the guys that Novo has working for him now are some of the top people in Australia. And I, I'm just really proud uh, to have written the book. And I know that they're going to enjoy it. And, and see, here's the real key. Quentin has had virtually nothing to do with putting uh, the the mill into production. Mm -hmm. He and I were talking about Novo taking over Millennium in, in 2013. We mm -hmm. all knew Millennium was going to fail. And, of course, this isn't something the average investor knows. But uh, the price of gold kept going up and the value of the Australian dollar kept going down. And Millennium dragged on and dragged on and dragged on and dragged on and, and finally collapsed. So Quentin was ready to move in. But it's an absolute switch when you go from being an exploration company to being a producer. Now, do you realize why you can never fail in exploration? Well, you can always uh, wait for the next next cycle or you can always... You know, no. come up with a new theory, you, or you could always say, "All I need is another five million dollars to drill, <laughs> and we'll probably succeed." So yeah. everybody wants to be in the exploration business. Yeah. Guys who've been in the exploration business for 116 years never found a damn mine, but they're saying, "You know, another five million dollars, another few drill holes, maybe we'll find something then." However. You know if you're going to fail in production, P, D, Q, because yep. you can't be telling bullshit stories anymore. you got to be producing gold. That's Novo right. is producing gold. They're going to produce a lot more gold than anybody realizes, and that's going to fund everything else they do. Bob, talk to us a little bit about some of the unique challenges that Novo faced. I mean, this was... You know, as you say, Creasy understood there was a lot of gold there over a wide area of that, that land at the Pilbara. Um, but there were some extreme challenges now. We may have spoken about them before, certainly Dr. Quinton. Henning has talked about the challenges that the companies faced, but maybe because it's such a key part of this story, talk about some of the challenges, the unusual challenges. First of all, this is an, an extremely unusual deposit that I would say in many ways probably more challenging than the great Whitwaters ran deposit was. But let's hear what you have to say about the challenges that have seemingly been overcome now by uh, by Dr. Henning and, and the people that he brought on board. Well, actually, uh, that's not necessarily true. There are three distinct properties, all of which have their own issues. Right. Um, and, and absolutely, Karartha and Edgina are a work in progress. Yeah. Uh, have not succeeded wildly there yet because mm -hmm. they need money to move those things forward. But here's what you've got. You've got some of the most inhospitable territory on earth. I was there in November of, uh, I guess, 2018, and it was uh, 105, 110 degrees, something like that. And, and I almost passed out. Luckily, 
uh, Quentin saved my life by pour, pouring boiling water on my back. And he, he actually believes I'm going to forgive him, which is not going to happen in this lifetime. But uh, Beaton's Creek, he goes out and realizes there's a million ounces, two million ounces there, drills the crap out of it, proves up a nice resource. And he got this wonderful mill that's five miles away run by idiots that has never made a dime profit, and you know they're going to go bankrupt. Now, what do you do? You raise money and spend five years uh, putting a, a mill into production, or do you wait for them to go bankrupt? Well, you wait for them to go bankrupt, if you got any sense. Mm -hmm. So then he finds out about this rail crew going out and finding three, 300 ounces in a weekend, says, hey, you know, I'm going <laughs> to end of the Pilbara, I need to go over there. So he goes out, stakes a whole bunch of land, and boy, I'll tell you what, okay, uh, try try to deal with Artemis, and, and trying to deal with Comet Well and Purdy's Reward, that was a real adventure, and, and I, I go into a lot of detail in the book with the yes, specific issues there, but what you got there is you got very nuggety gold that you cannot measure with conventional drilling. The only way it can measure it is to actually put it into production, but you can't put it into production because the mines department won't give you a permit unless you come up with the resource. You can't come up with the resource because you can't drill it. So you get into country. The, the Spanish wouldn't have had any problem with it. The Romans wouldn't have had any problem with it. But Australia, which is one of the top mining countries in the world, says you got to have a resource. So that, that's been a lot of fun. So then he finds out, and literally when we were there in November of 2018, uh, we bought some gold in, in Carartha. And the gold from from Carartha to Engina was absolutely identical. I think uh -huh. it's 115 kilometers apart. And we looked at it and said, hmm, that's interesting. Uh -huh. How do you get identical gold 65 miles apart? So Quentin, and he was really being sly. He doesn't tell me everything. <laughs> Quentin goes out and cuts a deal with a guy at Edgina who's actually in production. But the problem with Edgina is got about a meter or two meters of gravel. It's loosely consolidated gravel. It's not hard rock like it is for Arthur, but you got no water uh, in nine months of the year, and you're underwater for three months of the year. Now, if that had been anywhere that, where they had rivers, okay, it would have been mined out a hundred years ago, mm -hmm. but nobody realized the entire area it's loaded with gold. So Quentin came up with way uh, using mechanical sorting that you could process this gold without use of water. But Quentin is an out-of-the-box thinker, and he literally had to reinvent the wheel. He couldn't do anything at Beaton's Creek until Millennium collapsed. Mm -hmm. He couldn't do anything at Carartha until it came up with the way of actually developing a project that you can't come up with the resource on. And and he's getting the edge in a movie by using this mechanical sorting. 
uh, he's done some really incredible stuff. And at someday he's going to be recognized as one of the finest geologists in history. Yeah. So, so they, so he has come up with some uh, potential solutions here with regard to mechanical sorting. And from what I understand, Bob, that's gone very well, at least uh, uh, on a certain scale. I believe they're starting to move this out into, uh, uh, you know, more into commercial scale production. I guess uh, Quentin can talk about that in the next segment. But, uh, but yeah. go ahead. Absolutely. Absolutely. The mechanical sorting works, and there's two different companies that make the machines, and, and Novo has tested both of them and bought a machine, and, and it'll be in production shortly. But uh, what Quentin understood was there's a lot of gold there. And once you understand there's a lot of gold there, it's not as if you're really, gee, I wonder if there's any gold in Western Australia. There is a ton of gold there. You just have to figure out how to process it, and that's exactly what he's done. Yeah, and um, yeah, so that's uh, certainly one of the things we'll be watching. But in meantime, they've got an awful lot going on at back at Beaton's Creek. Uh, maybe just talk about that for a minute, or we'll get Quentin certainly we can talk about it when I have him on the next segment. But uh, go ahead if you have any thoughts about that. Well, uh, the beauty about Beaton's Creek is that it's relatively conventional, okay? Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, You go out, you drill, you trench, you prove up with the resource, uh, you come up with the mill, and you go into production. And and i got to give Rob Humphreys and and his crew 100% credit. Actually, turning a mill on is fraught with problems Mm -hmm. is never easy and they have made it look so easy that everybody's thinking oh yeah Novo said they were going to go into production they're producing they produced 100 ounce bar or 400 ounce bar in that cool it it was a lot harder than that and they really made it look easy they they just did a marvelous marvelous job um, Bob, just with a couple of minutes left here yet, uh, in terms of valuation, I mean, you indicated that it's hard for the market to sort of perceive future cash flows, future production and cash flows and that sort of thing, because it's, you can't really, you can't really measure the, because of the nuggeting effect, you can't really measure very easily, you can't measure the, the grade and the, and the ounces that are there. How do you think this is going to play out then? Do you think well, it's just uh, going to have to simply show a lot of production, or how, uh, how is the market going to come to see this is this this valuation? You're calling the possibly the greatest gold discovery in history. Okay, uh, first of all, they need to understand. Quentin has got his little fingers in half a dozen pies. Uh, Beaton's Creek and Carartha and or Edgina are part of the story. Um, he is absolutely investing in some other stuff and moving other things forward. And they're not things that you can come up with a resource on or come up with a number on or come up with the value. But here's how you can value Novo. Uh, Beans Creek, Nulligine, it's in production, and we will know in a couple of months what the rate of production is and what mm-hmm. the, the cash flow is and have a good idea of how it works. Now, I personally am guessing uh, eight to $900 uh, an ounce, 
and and I'm guessing somewhere between 125 and 150,000 ounces. Those are guesses. Mm-hmm. However, we will know in a few months. Now, the beauty of that is that's going to fund everything else at Edison and, and, and at Carartha. We're going to have a hard number for profit, okay? But the key is, yes, there's going to be other stuff moving forward. And what Novo's going to do is Novo's going to be paying dividends. Now, I know Quentin. If anybody thinks that he's going to put one mine into production or two mines into production or three mines into production, it ain't going to happen. He has much broader ideas and a direction for the future. Quentin wants to run the biggest and most profitable gold company in the world, and I absolutely believe he's going to get it. Well, that's, that's a fascinating uh, thought uh, because, as you know, he is involved with many different companies, some of which are sponsors to this show, and they are having remarkable success, uh, exploration success so far. So, uh, let me, this, this, hey, go ahead. Jay, let, me, let me interject something for just a minute because that's something virtually nobody understands. Quinn is part of Newfound Gold in Newfoundland. Newfound has $490 million market cap. He's part of the SK Mining in the Golden Triangle. SK Mining is going to be bigger than the SK Creek. It's got a $375 million market cap. He's part of El Oro in Bolivia. Uh, They've got a $225 million market cap. They came out with disappointing drill results today, and the stock got whacked which is stupid because they were actually excellent results. He's part of Irving Resources in Japan, $122 million market cap. Lion One in Fiji, $235 million market cap. And, of course, Novo, $831 million market cap. Now, here's the key, and you can write this down on a piece of paper. You can take it to the bank, and you can cash it. Every single one of those companies is going to be a billion-dollar company. I don't know of any other uh, geologist who has a track record like that. Now, I'm not saying Quentin was 100% of any of those companies. He was with Irving and he was with Novo, but he made substantial contributions and those are just some of the companies. Uh, betting on, on Quentin Henney is a, an extremely profitable bet. I have found that to be true, uh, Bob, and uh, thanks in, in no small part to your contribution as well. We'll have to leave it go at that. This is an exciting, a very, very exciting story, no doubt about it. Uh, the name of the book is What Became of the Crow? Inside the Greatest Gold Discovery in History. Be sure to pick up a copy. Uh, one way or another, you need to know this story uh, if you're investing in this segment. Thank you so much, Bob, for being with us. It's it's really great to have you. And we're going to go to break now, folks, but don't go away because uh, Dr. Quinton himself will be with us uh, to uh, comment on what Bob just said and uh, and also give us an idea of what his thoughts are about the future for, for Novo Resources. We'll be right back with Dr. Quinton Henning.
Voice America is available on your Google connected device. Okay, Google, play Turning Hard Times into Good Times podcast on iHeartRadio. Try it today. Great Bear Resources, trading under GBR on the TSXV and GTBAF on the OTCQX, is a gold exploration company focused on their district-scale Dixie project in the renowned Red Lake Mining District of Ontario. Having made multiple high-grade near-surface gold discoveries, GBR's capital efficiency has allowed them to be fully funded to complete a very active 300,000-meter drill program through 2021. Stay up to date on what's been considered one of the best-performing exploration stocks in the last three years by visiting greatbearresources.ca. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back, Turning Hard Times is Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. Really pleased to have with me Dr. Quentin Henning. Uh, and if you were listening in on the last segment, you uh, you know Dr. Henning doesn't need any. Uh, he, we don't need to tell you who he is. He's been on this show probably more often than any other geologist uh, with Novo and with a number of other companies that he is uh, an advisor to or sits on the board of. Uh, and you just heard what Bob Moriarty had to say about uh, his flagship company, that's uh, Novo Resources. Uh, so we want to hear uh, what Dr. Henning has to say about what Bob has to say and also find out what Dr. Henning's thoughts are about the future for Novo. Thanks for joining me again, Quentin. Absolutely, Jay. It's uh, always good to have you. You heard what your, what your good friend Bob Moriarty had to say. Uh, any comments? Uh, yeah, look, my uh, my favorite part is is talking about our team. Um, I can't tell you how grateful I am every day I wake up. I got a, a really really good team led by Rob and Ronan down in in Australia, and that's what it takes to make things like this a success. Uh, you know, I'm a geologist. I know what my skills are. I know what my strengths are. I know what my weakness are. I I don't do production. That's uh, that's entirely out of my bellywick. But uh, but you know I, I recognized about four yeah four years ago that we needed to head in this direction and you know without taking time to describe all the ups and downs and sideways that we've been through uh, you know we kept our head down and and uh, Rob built the team that we needed and now we're we're we've reached the goal of foreign gold bars indeed you have and uh, I don't know how much you can tell us about how that has proceeded, uh, it seems to have gone, as Bob was saying, very smoothly. Uh, we, you know, more often than not, I've seen startup operations and they run into all kinds of hiccups. I mean, that may still be the case for model, for all I know, but, but what are your thoughts about how things are going so far? Things have gone very smoothly. Look, uh, you know, the, Chris Martin, who is our general manager, uh, he's done a fantastic job making sure that we overcame some of the, the initial little hurdles that we had. We had a 500-year rain event 
uh, shortly before Christmas. That set us back a couple weeks. But I remember the guys telling me they would have uh, our first bar, a 400-ounce bar, poured by February 16th, and they poured that thing. I believe it was uh, probably around 9 or 10 in the evening on February 16th. They pulled it <laughs> exactly like they said. So, I mean, it, it speaks volumes about the the tenacity of our team. Uh, you know, look, from, from this point forward, uh, you know, we're developing the mine in earnest, uh, meaning we have a mine plan, we have a design, we have, um, you know, a, a schedule for how we, we develop it. Uh, we are working in the back area right now. Uh, the area is actually going to be become the, the designated waste uh, dump site over the time over time. So what we're doing is effectively mining the the back end of the deposit first, a little bit lower grade, uh, but it, it kind of helps the team cut their teeth. There's uh, one or two reefs out in that area that that they mine. And uh, they're basically flattening that off area off so that they can then uh, use it for for tailings disposal. As they move move over to the uh, to the east around the Grants Hill area and start mining there, we'll start pulling in some of the the higher grade material. Uh, you know, but I think that they're doing a fantastic job. Like I, you know, I'm watching it day to day, and it's just remarkable how how efficient they've been. Uh, everybody's very upbeat at sight. Uh, they're all all relieved, you know, every time. Like when they got in and they opened up the the reefs for the first time, you know, you got to bear in mind that a lot of these people have zero experience mining a mm-hmm. conglomerate. Like there's never been a conglomerate like this mine in the history of Australia. You know, these guys are used to working in the eastern gold fields where you know you're dealing with load deposits that are are near vertical and they're usually you know quite visually uh, you know discernible. In, mm-hmm. in the mine environment, this is a little different. You're mining pancakes, flat pancakes, and you don't know you're in them until you you've dug down through them effectively. So, you know, but they they seem to have uh, tuned their eye into it, and they're they're mining more and more efficiently. You know, we anticipate ramping up over the next few weeks, maybe a couple of two or three months, to get to a, a steady state of uh, of mining and throughput through the mill. Uh, and uh, you know, I think it's all systems go from here. Uh, the rain, rainy season, which is has been a challenge. Like there was even rain the day we poured the gold bar. We had to fly a guy in from uh, Newman just to fix the furnace. Uh, but uh, we, you know, that rain dies away, say about late March or so, and hopefully no more cyclones come roaring through. That would be a, uh, you know, always be unpleasant. But. Uh, I think if we can evade that, then we're we're in very very good position. The one thing the rain rain has done is it filled all the pits, which means we have lots and lots of water for processing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, yeah, either too much water or not enough, as Bob said, uh, through much of the uh, much of the area there. But uh, you you know, as Bob alluded to, you have made some provisions for a lack of water, especially out at Carafa and Edgina. But uh, let me just ask you, Quentin, in the past you've talked about some of the factors that seem to bode well for, uh, for low-cost gold production there. Bob made some uh, – Bob is free. Of course, he's not, uh, not speaking for the company, so he's free to give his own opinions, talking about uh, his own views, and he underscored the idea that this was, this was his own view. 860 to $900 cost, 125,000 to 150 ounces, 150,000 ounces a year. Of production, uh, and he talked about dividends. I don't know how much of any of that that you can verify. Perhaps none of it, because it needs to be officially endorsed by the board and so forth. But maybe some thoughts along those lines about the 
the factors that might bode well for low-cost gold production at Beaton Creek? Uh, yeah, look, uh, you know, I, I cannot speak to a lot of those numbers in detail right now, but what I can tell you is that we've been working uh, in, in parallel with starting the mine-up. We've been working on the, the PEA that will be delivered here in the next within the next couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, the PEA will, will give a lot of that information that you just talked about. Um, really for the first time. I mean, this is the first time we've been able to present any form of economics around the deposit. Uh, and it's all because we, we did acquire the mill and we now have a processing, a means of processing material. Okay, mm-hmm. the, uh, the, the key here for, for people is to understand that PEA uh, will set the bar, hopefully at a, a reasonable level that uh, we, we can easily jump across. In other words, you don't want to set the bar too high like uh, Bob usually does. <laughs> and then try to have to try to jump way up over the top of it, uh, you set the bar at a reasonable level and you make sure you, you get across. I think we sure. can pull it off, and, and once the, those numbers are out, I'll be happy to come back on and, and talk about those in detail. Oh, I really look forward to that. No question about it. Um, what about um, the future? You have a lot of things at Beaton's Creek. I mean, we're, you know, we're looking into the future at Caratha and Edgina, but what can you tell us about um, Beaton's Creek. You do have a resource there. Yeah. You have a you have a resource. I mean, as as Bob pointed out, it's more conventional project than the other two that uh, that are in your scope. But you do have a resource, and what is that resource, and what can you tell us about that? Okay, look, the the resource is about uh, nine hundred thousand ounces in aggregate. It's about half indicated, half inferred. Uh, and that's a subject of the PEA. You know, it's it, it's conventional in the sense that the gold particles are somewhat finer, and therefore we're able to, you know, define a resource uh-huh. on the conglomerates of Beaton's Creek. When you get over to Caratha, the, the nuggets are considerably coarser, and the tonnage that's needed to, to bulk sample it is is, is kind of off the chart, really. But yeah. at Beaton's Creek, we've been, been able to do the uh, sufficient work to define that resource. And, you know, what, what people should expect out of Beaton's Creek is this. Uh, we're going to take the core of the resource, basically the near-surface material. This includes uh, oxide uh, and fresh. And they're, they're both non-refractory. They basically are easy to treat. They're, they're mm-hmm. high. And we're going to start mining. And then as we mine down, we gather more information. So as you mine down uh, these units, these beds, uh, you get more and more familiar with things. And therefore, the, that data can then feed into uh, yet further expansion of the resource ahead of you. Okay, so uh, we know there's beds way out there in the basin. We've drilled down and we've hit them. We know there's gold in them. But until we get uh, the, the mining front advanced more, more closely to that position, uh, we can't really convert that. But I think, you know, it's like the Vidwater's rent. Uh, I'm not saying that, you know, we, we can say the size is going to be a billion ounces or, or something. But what I can tell you is, the beds are very predictable. Okay, so mm-hmm. as you mine them, they keep going and going and going and going. And our expectation is that uh, what starts at a you know, we'll say a modest level here, the current resource will grow and grow and grow through time as we advance uh, deeper and deeper into the basin. Uh, you know, my vision, I'd say, 20 years from now, I, I truly hope that people are mining uh, the the main reefs that we have, like the M1 reef, for example. Uh, way out in the basin, you know, there's an underground mine there 20 years mm-hmm. from now, and people are saying, wow, this, you know, this truly was a, a very vast uh, gold deposit. But you got to start somewhere, and that's what we're doing. That's the approach we're using. All right, we got 30 seconds left yet, uh, Quentin. Just to, uh, I guess you got a PEA. Talk, 
to us about what are the news items that people should be watching on, watching for over the next, uh, say, six months or so? Okay, over the next six months, like, as we ramp up, get to steady state, we'll, we'll talk about the production that we're seeing, the, you know, the uh, success we've had with, with mining this thing. We'll start talking about the new areas that we're going to start mining, like Grant Hill and so forth. Uh, we're also going to talk about exploration around Beaton's Creek. We've actually geared up quite a bit of work in that regard. Uh, we're also exploring in the Mosquito Creek Basin. But the other thing to, to watch is Caratha. Okay, Caratha, we're going to start that trial mine and trial sorting uh, exercise in a couple of months once uh, the weather improves. And we're, we're then uh, going to you know hopefully bootstrap that into a mine that can produce a concentrate that can be shipped to Nulligine. And then Edgina, look, uh, the... The situation at Edgina, we're waiting on assays that were delayed because we have to do this great control drilling of beatings. But once we get that under under control, we can then start expanding the bulk sampling and hopefully do test mining there. Uh, okay. These are all big steps to making a bigger and bigger company. All right. All right. Well, we'll certainly be watching and, and look forward to talking to you in the future about some of these developments as they occur. Thank you so much for being with us today, Quentin. Remarkable story. And all the best to you and yours and your team over there in Australia. Well, that is it. That is it for this week, uh, folks. Uh, next week, Alistair McLeod will be with me as my main guest. He will explain why future the future of money is gold. Uh, Chris Taylor uh, of uh, Great Bear will be with me, as will Michael Oliver. So until then, goodbye, and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Noble Resources Corp. trades on the OTCQX under the symbol NSRPF and on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol NVO. Its flagship assets are located in the Pilbara region of Western Australia. Novo has recently partnered with Sumitomo Corporation of Japan to evaluate, advance, and develop the company's Australian gold projects. With over $40 million in cash and $60 million committed from Sumitomo, Novo is well on its way to establishing itself as one of the top junior explorers and developers in Australia. 